So this is our last week on Ecclesiastes. Next week we will move back to the New Testament and grab a couple of books there uh, as we move into our fall curriculum. I know it's like mid-October, but we're like we're like four or five weeks behind the curriculum schedule because of all the COVID stuff earlier in the year. But that's all right. Um, session six: What is life about? The wise person fears and obeys God. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Uh, people think Ecclesiastes is a, not a sad book, a depressing book. But it's really not. And as we come to the end of it, the idea that the wise person fears God and obeys God, uh, that's not depressing, or that shouldn't be depressing. Um, that should excite us, because we know what we're supposed to do. We know how we're supposed to act. That's the whole point. That's what Solomon is saying. He's trying to communicate with us that he's tried the alternatives, and they don't work. We don't have to bother. We get caught up in the world too often and the world's ideas and the world's values. And then, yeah, this is a depressing book when we look at it from the world's perspective. So let's jump in and get his final commentary uh, on life. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Somebody go ahead and read those for us. <clears throat> Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Thanks. All right. A lot of picturesque vocabulary <laughs> in this section. And we have to remember Ecclesiastes is what kind of literature? Wisdom. Well, okay, wisdom, but what is poetry. wisdom? Poetry. Poetry. It, it's poetry. 
he's using poetic language to describe. There are a lot of uh, interesting combinations, like the grinders. What do you think he's talking about? Teeth. Teeth. Yeah. <laughs> There's all sorts of figurative language in here. He's not talking about grinders. People out there, you know, grinding my coffee beans. <laughs> no, he's talking about the teeth. And, and also, he's talking about growing older in health failing. And he's described it in very poetic language. And there's a lot of people who try to take this stuff and come up with all sorts of explanations and weird um, God's trying to communicate in secret language and all that. It's not. There, there is no, there's no secret message. There's nothing hidden in here. It's poetic language to communicate his point. I want to take apart, uh, take it apart a little bit, and get rid of all the poetic language, and just look at what Solomon's trying to say. So let's do that real quick. We start with uh, Ecclesiastes eleven ten. We've got to go back to the previous chapter, and in verse eleven ten he says, "Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life is vanity." All right, so don't worry about the future. You're going to get old. It's going to happen. All of that. And it's, it's, it's vanity. Secondly, he then goes on in 12.1. And this is what he says. So this is 11.10. Then we move to 12.1. And he says, remember. So because of this, 11.10, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come. And the years draw near which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So when you get old, life gets rough and it's unlivable, unattainable. The pain, the arthritis, and all that. There are people who, um, they just complain and, uh, you know, why did I get old? Why couldn't I stay young? I mean, we all do it, right? He says, remember your creator in your youth because it's going to get, you're going to get old. You're going to become decrepit. You're going to fall apart. You're going to be able to not do a whole lot. So remember your creator. And then we go to 12.8. And he sums it up. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the message the preacher is trying to make without all the distractions of all that nice flowing figurative language. We're going to get old. We need to we need to use our youth is essentially what he's talking about while we're young. I don't know how many people I meet that are young who are like, oh, there'll be time to serve God when I'm old. I've got to do things now. So you're going to give up your youth to serve God in order to serve what? Self. Self. I don't know how many guys, when we were on the missions field, we, we worked a lot with... Um, American military, uh, guys that were in the Air Force, who are like, well, if I just finish my 20 years, I'll be financially set, and then I can do, I, I can do stuff for God. I can, I can serve, I can go, I can be a missionary, because they love the idea. They, 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 it's like, oh, this would be awesome. I should do this in my retirement. Now, if we think about this in terms of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, who knows it? Yeah, we're supposed to 
make ourselves a living sacrifice. This is worship. The idea of worship is, is that we give ourselves. So if we give ourselves when we're young, the first 10%, right? The first offerings, right? If we wait until we're old and we ain't got a whole lot left to give, are we really doing God a service? And you can talk about, oh, yeah, but I'll have to think how wise I'll be, how whatever. Yeah. But how much more could you have given if you had started when you were younger? And what did you do before? Is it kind of like giving second fruits? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely like giving second fruits. I'm giving, I'm giving the last 10% of my life to God instead of the first. That's what he's trying to tell us here. Remember, Solomon's writing this. He's old, and he didn't do... What did he do with his youth? He wasted it. He wasted it. He accumulated wealth like mad. He accumulated women and, and like crazy. Lands. He spent all his time. After he built the temple for as his father told him to do, which he didn't do it for God. Remember that. As much as we... I love the, Solomon, the, the Temple of Solomon and all he didn't do it for God. He did it because his father told him, when you first take the throne, do it. And he was a young man. He didn't know what to do, so he did that. And then God blessed him with the wisdom. And he chased after everything there was in life. All the sciences, money, wine, women. Song. Song. <laughs> and that's what he did. So he's, he's giving us this warning. That's what this is. So this isn't depressing. This is, a, this is a fact of life. That we often waste our youth not serving God, chasing after stuff for self, sowing those wild oats. Uh, I think that's the, the saying uh, in America. We, we sow our wild oats. So let's take a look at this now. All right, so we come to the conclusion. Um, we're to fear and honor God. This is uh, part four of our outline. And this is the twilight. We come to our twilight, and now we want to get right with God. And you think about it. Um, old people want to get right with God. And you, you see it everywhere, um, particularly those from a, a Catholic background. Uh, as you get older, they start donating stuff. Um, stained glass windows, new seat cushions for the pews. Um, New whites for the altar boys, new chalices for communion, uh, made of, you know, sterling silver and emeralds and, uh, uh, you know, all that stuff. Because they get to the end of their life and they realize, I haven't done anything for God. I need to get, I need to get some brownie points with God. I mean, really, that's, that's the mentality. We as evangelicals do it too, though, because we get older and we're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend my, the rest of my life in prayer. And we try and catch up. We, we play that catch up. Because the twilight is coming. We begin to realize. We don't recognize it when we're young. Uh, I mean, let's face it. We all did it. We were all 19, 20 years old. And we thought we were never going to die. You know, death was a long way away. It was way out there. Oh, yeah. Especially if I lived to be 90. I mean, 18 to 90. I still got the most of my life ahead of me. I got plenty of time. We see that Solomon gives us a picture of old age, and it is very depressing. Uh, the grinders stop working. Believe me, I know. I've had uh, several removed and replaced. 
uh, and the like. You start losing your hair. You may not be as good looking as you think you are. <laughs> Can't possibly be. No, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and things start to fail and everything else. You want to it, check it? You want a list? Or? <laughs> no, I'm good. I don't, I, I don't need a list. The ending result of our life is <clears throat> glory with God. No. Death. Death. <laughs> the end result of life is that nobody gets out alive. 100%. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how well you live, how well you eat, how well you exercise. Nobody gets out of life alive. Because of that, because death is a sure thing. I mean, if you were going to gamble, I would always gamble on death. It's inevitable, <laughs> right? Because of that, he tells us that we need to live in fear of God and never forget him. Remembering God as creator reminds us that we're accountable to him in life and death. See, we're supposed to remember him in our youth. Because if we don't, we'll do all sorts of things that we shouldn't. And then we get old and we start looking back and going, why in the world did I ever do that? How many people have you ever, have you been to their bedsides? Maybe they're not dying, but they're, they're old. And they've got all the regrets. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? We've been there. We know. We need to remember who God is and that we're accountable to him. If we remember who he is, it's not hard to remember that we're accountable to him. In our modern age, we've, we've come to swing that pendulum, if you will. You know, back in the, in the early part of this last century, into the 1800s, you know, God was, was he was God. And he was out there. And he was untouchable, unattainable. Um, he was the creator. He was wrathful judge. He was painted by. Uh, I mean, the Puritans feared him. And you, you really couldn't be very happy because, you know, God doesn't like happiness. Um, and th there were all these, all these rules that you had to follow, you know. Very solemn. You know, you came to church and it, there was, I mean, there's just no excitement or happiness about that. No, it's a solemn occasion. And, and so, well, as we came through the latter part of the last century, we understood who God was more. And the ideas began to shift that he's our <laughs> father, that he is, you know, dad and all that. And we became much more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Familiar. Familiar. Thank you, Patty. Familiar with God. And as our familiarity came, which it's not wrong, but the pendulum swung and we've forgotten that God's our judge. We've forgotten who he is, that he's the creator of the universe, that he is all powerful. And so we went from one extreme where God's the angry God of the Old Testament. Uh, I have a lot of Old Testament books because I like the Old Testament. And those guys from way back, they looked at the God of the Old Testament and they, he was the angry God. That's where we get the idea that we don't need the Old Testament. That's where this idea came from because 
God was the God of judgment and wipe out whole nations in the Old Testament, and he's just the God of love in the New Testament. Somewhere God changed. Well, he, he didn't really change. We swung the pendulum, and we accepted that, you know what, God enjoys a good laugh. I mean, we, as, we've, as we've gone through these studies over the last couple of years, we see that Jesus had sarcasm, and so did many of his prophets, and that it was amusing, and that God in, it has joy and enjoyment of life and all that. He's not just this brooding judge that just can't wait to get you. Uh, and all that. that. That's a wrong view as well. And so somewhere in the middle where he enjoys what we do and he enjoys us and he wants us to enjoy him. But we got to remember who he is. Mm -hmm. I think about the animals. There's so many that are so weird, like platypuses. Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> Explain to me the platypus. <laughs> Penguins, you know. Yeah. You kind of got to wonder if the three of them were having a competition. <laughs> when they designed some of these, I mean, okay. How weird can you be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can you put together? Okay, it's your turn. You go. What do you got? I made a platypus. Oh, that is really, uh, whoever made that, whosever idea that one was, I think they, they took home the trophy. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that when we don't remember who God is and, we're, and we don't remember that we're accountable to him, we become full of ourselves because it becomes about us. If we're not answerable to God or anybody, we become full of ourselves. Just look, just look at the political scenario that's happening right now. The idea that they don't answer to us, that they rule us and that we answer to them. And look at the nonsense that they've got going on. We do the same thing. We become like them when we don't recognize that we're answerable to God. As we do, and we come into our twilight, we need to remember that. Experience comes with age, and experience cultivates wisdom. That's what Solomon has shown to us as we've gone through this book. He didn't get it when he was young, and he's trying to get us to see it before we become old, so that we don't make the same mistakes he made. So that's our twilight as we... Look at the twilight of man in this comment. Question. It's so counterintuitive. You know, Solomon, like some of us in the room, is that, you know, toward the end of our lives. And he's saying um, what's up is down and down is up. And so in my economy, you give to me when you're young. And then when you're old that'll kind of take care of itself, if you will. So, I mean, I think it's hard to, even reflecting on our own lives, to think, okay, this, is, this isn't just the time to uh, take care of our children and, you know, make sure we have a home and all the make sures I think we, we do early so that we don't have to make sure when we're old. And God's saying, that's not it. And Solomon is trying to like give us the heads up. Like, you get right with God first, and all these other things fall in place. But it's our own, you know, as you said earlier, worship of self or self-thought all the time. 
that gets us totally confused. And Solomon is sort of going, holy cow, this is exactly what happened to me. Yep, yeah, it is. Um, <coughs> all right, with that, we'll continue on. 12, chapter 12, uh, 9 through 11. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son... No, that's it. Thank you. It's interesting that, that Solomon talks about the one shepherd. Because Solomon's nearly a thousand years before Christ, who's the shepherd. I mean, that was one of the names that he had. Um, the collected sayings, they're given, they, they come from the shepherd. What does that tell us? It's a little stuck in verse here. What is it? What does he communicate? Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Oh, sure. What is he saying? There is one God. Okay, there's one God. Who's the author of what he's writing. Yeah. The idea here is, is that he's collected all these sayings, and Solomon recognizes they come from one place. They come from one person. They didn't know who Jesus was in Solomon's day, but they recognized that there was one, that it was God. He's using shepherd here to define God and that this is the case, which is really interesting when you realize how far in advance he's communicating this. And then he uses this term. <clears throat> so here we are, part two, the truth. It's real simple. True wisdom comes from God. So if we go when we're young, looking for it, where should we go? To God. To God. To God. Yeah, it makes sense, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, where did Solomon go? Every place else. Every place else. Where do we go? Every place else. I mean, all you got to do is look at our system. So we send our children to school 12 years. And then we tell them it's time to get ready to be an adult. Where do we send them? Cool. College. And what are the colleges teaching them? Everything you don't want them to know. Everything you don't want them to know. Yeah. It's, it's like, now I want you to get ready to become an adult and have your own house, your own family, your own business, your own whatever it is. So I'm going to send you to secular you <coughs> to get all the world's wisdom so that you can live in the world. And then we wonder why they don't live in a godly fashion. We wonder why, our, why the next generation isn't in church. It's funny because what happens is, is they get older and they come back to church. People that were in church when they were like kids because mom and dad made them and all that, they leave when they go off to university. And then somewhere around in their 40s and their second divorce, 
They show up in church. You, you laugh because it's true. And they realize, and some of you maybe, that, that, that this individual, that something's missing out of your life. Something isn't right in your return looking for it. We have a lot of people that are, that are new, that are visiting our church, that fit in this category. As me and Chris have been talking to different ones. I saw it a lot in Korea. Guys who were in there, they tend to be officers. They would be majors, lieutenant colonels. Um, usually they, they'd been divorced more than once by that point. Uh, and they would show up because there wasn't anything else to do. Um, for the most part, because it was an Air Force base and weekends were boring. They, didn't have to work. they would come to church and they would start to recognize, you know, I've been missing this in my life. Uh, I saw it all the time. Because wisdom comes from God. The problem is we don't turn to him. Usually it's because we don't like what he's going to say. We know what he's going to say. You shouldn't do that thing that you want to do. But it'll make me a lot of money. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll make me look really cool in front of uh, all the girls. But that's what we do. Now here's, now this, the, next, the next one I've got for this is for us, because we're all older, right? We should not hoard wisdom. We should not hoard wisdom. Well, Steve certainly doesn't because there's a family joke going around about when he's going to have something to say. Oh, is this sermon 31? You know? They know when he has something to say, they better listen because it's another wise statement. <laughs> well, at least I think it's wise. <laughs> or at least an old person's that's all right. At least they're numbered. You can just now start referring to the numbers, right? Just look at your kid. 45. It's 45. Right? Yeah, there you go. No, we're not supposed to hoard wisdom. We're supposed to share it. That doesn't mean that the listener will accept it. But as we've learned, that's why people, we need to be involved in things like doing the trumpet retreat. Yeah, you might get a chance to talk to a little kid for, for five minutes. But you have no idea what that will do. I'm amazed at the things my children remember that I have no memory of saying. <laughs> that were profound to them. We never know. I know that uh, we're always looking for kid workers in the kids' classes. That's sharing of wisdom. Oh, but I don't teach, and I don't this, and you, you got whatever. Is it really, when you're sharing when your life, what happened in life, the mistakes you made, the right things you did, we should be sharing those things. See, the problem with us is we avoid, this goes back to last week's sermon, we want to avoid death. <coughs> we don't talk about it. We tend not to plan for it and all that. And when we come to a life that we don't recognize <coughs> that there's an end, that we all have an expiration date, we begin to have visions of unlimited time. Oh, I got plenty of time. I'll do it when I'm older. And we put things off. We don't get involved and all that. 
Because when we have unlimited time, or if we have unlimited anything, it often leads to wastefulness. Let's face it. We thought we had unlimited water, so nobody cared that they let the sink run. I mean, you turn it on, there's water. And we let it run and run and run and run. Oh, I'm just going to turn around and go to the fridge for this thing. I need one more apple to wash. So you leave the water on. And you, why? Because we think we have unlimited water, right? If we had unlimited time, we, there, let's face it, there are things that we would push off indefinitely. Things that we find difficult to talk about, difficult to do. I mean, let's face it, who likes washing windows, especially on the second floor? Uh, I'll do it another day. 200 years later, we're still sitting there and going, man, these windows are dirty, right? See, we have unlimited time to keep doing it. Otherwise, what happens is we recognize that we might go at any moment and we start cleaning our house. Oh, I don't want anybody to come in and find my house dirty. <laughs> that would be like the, the epitome of the worst thing that can happen is I fall over dead and strangers are tromping through my house and it's a mess. I don't want anybody to see me living later, right? We, we, we all think this, right? We, especially you gals, how many times do you look at the house before you leave in case you're not the one that comes back? Oh, I need to put this away. I need to, right? Because we don't have unlimited time. We know it, but we often live like it, and we begin, begin wasting that resource that we think we have unlimited of. Well, the best one ever is my mom would say, make sure you have clean underwear on <laughs> if you're in an accident. Oh, yeah. All right, Mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Before the accident. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is, this is what happens. When we have limited time, it helps us focus our lives on stewarding our days, which is what we're called to be, stewards of everything. Our time, our money, our resources. We don't do it when we think that we have unlimited. And as, a, as you get older, you begin to recognize there isn't a whole lot left. I need to do more with it. And we start cutting things out of our lives that are superfluous. And depending on what drives us, um, sometimes it's our family because, well, I haven't made that million dollars yet. And we start, we work harder and longer, more hours, and we begin, we begin revving that up because, you know, I gotta make, I gotta make that first million before I'm 40, right? That way I can retire and enjoy it. And so our... Without one million becomes the next million. Well, well that's true. But, but what we do is so, oh, I can't make my son's birthday party or this or the Little League game or oh, I forgot my wife's anniversary. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm almost to the goal, right? It's because we don't recognize we have limited time or we don't recognize the value of, of those other things and put more value on money, which is also part of what Solomon's been telling us that all that's vanity because we're supposed to find our wisdom in God who would tell us chasing money is futile, right? Why would you want road pavement? Limited time focuses our attention. And when we're young, we don't recognize that there's limited time. I mean, we've all been there. Some of us are there now. But we focus on that. Comment, question. 
funny. This is so profound in today's world. But they reject it out of hand. But there, I don't think there's anything truer than this. All right, let's jump then. Next up, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 12 through 14. Anybody? My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Judgment. It's the conclusion of the matter. We're all going to die, and then we're going to be judged. He tells us learning for the sake of learning is purposeless. The making of many books and much studying is weariness of the flesh. If the whole point is to worship and serve God, how much knowledge do we need? What do we have? We have his word. He's already told us everything we need to know, right? Solomon says we, there's much that can be learned. We can chase it all our lives. But at some point in time, we have to decide what we're doing. We have to decide who we're going to be, what we're going to do, and who we're going to follow. If we're constantly looking, he's not talking about learning new things. He's talking about trying to figure your life out. Let's face it, we, we, we're the generation that remembers, I'm going out to find myself. <laughs> and some of them never came back. They're still <laughs> trying to find themselves, right? That's what he's talking about. I don't want to make a decision until I have uh, all the facts. You're never going to have all the facts. you just got to make the best decision you can with what God's given you, what you know. Some of us were given a lot. There are really smart people out there. They're brilliant. Others, maybe not so much. But whatever you've got, do something with it. And I think we, we get caught up Especially now that we live in the information age. You know, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, the internet didn't exist. Or it was, it was just a fledgling thing 20 years ago. I mean, 2000, I mean, we're still doing AOL. Prodigy. Uh, you know, it was like... Yeah. Yeah, we still, yes, a lot of this, I mean, we, we had a DSL line at the university for the whole university. Information wasn't instantaneous. We didn't have access to all the opinions of everybody in the whole entire world. I mean, most of you probably can remember when there were only basically three channels on the TV. <laughs> and they didn't, yeah, and they didn't waste a lot of time on opinions of the commentators. 
It was, let me communicate the facts to you as fast as possible because the next show's coming on because there, are, there isn't 200,000 channels. I mean, nowadays they've got the cat channel. You can sit and watch a cat bat at the uh, ball of string all day long. 24-7, different cat. The fish channel. I don't remember who it was. Somebody, I was at somebody's house, and they had the TV on, and it was the fish channel. And it was some guy set up a camera on his... Uh, fish tank, and that was it. You just watched it. It was the fish channel. You watched it was the coolest thing. But he watched it all day long, huh? To relax you? I guess I don't know. I, mean, I like to watch fish, but it's like okay, that's great. I, I saw five minutes of it. It's the same thing. Oh, look, there he goes. He's going back to that side. Nope, back to that way. Oh, no, nope, no. Nope. Now he's going down. Yeah. But people, we we got. Huh? But we we have gained all this access to information. I don't call it knowledge because I don't think some of it is. I don't think a lot of it's knowledge. It's uh, it's a lot of stupidity. But we've gone to the point that we can't do anything until we've read how many reviews. I mean, let's face it. We all go to Amazon. I'm going to buy a fan. I want to know how many stars it's got. So we run down to the bottom of the page. All right, it's got four and a half stars. Why doesn't it have five? Who's the dissenting vote? Okay, now i got to go find that review. All right, why didn't he like this? Friend? You know how many times I do this? I do it myself. And I'm chasing, why is this product? I'm looking at the product going, this thing looks good. Why? What's wrong with it? And then I get down there and I start reading the reviews, and I'm like, Dude, you're an idiot. You shouldn't have bought it in the first place. You don't know how to use it. <laughs> Clearly. And you gave it negative reviews, so that was, now you wasted my time because of your own stupidity and not being able to use the product and then want to complain that it's the product's fault that you haven't got two brain cells to rub together. Come on, we all do it. So how many reviews do you read on a product? At what point do you just decide, you know what, I'm going to take the chance to do it? That's what he's talking about. Learning for the sake of learning. I have the greatest you. Uh, I have the greatest quantity of useless information. I buy those books, you know, all the facts about this. I sit and read them, and then I remember them. And it drives people crazy because somebody will say, "What is?" And I go, "Oh yeah, that's this." How in the world do you know? That? Why do you know that? Like, okay, you remember the, who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. yeah. I used to sit there and I'd have the answers before the guys finish asking the questions. Wow. For it, I mean, and it was—it would be stupid Who things wrote like. Wrote questions. That's <laughs> <laughs> how many? You know, how much saliva does a human make in a year? You know, question. I read in a book somewhere. I didn't. I can't help it. I didn't forget. You know, it's, it's stuff like that. But it's useless. It's pointless. That's what they call it trivial pursuit, right? Exactly. <laughs> but there are people who get like degrees yeah. in trivial pursuit. And then they wonder why they can't get jobs. <laughs> well, I read this uh, year, years ago, trivial litigation, <laughs> you know, the lawsuits. Well, this guy bought a traveling vehicle like a Winnebago. He decided he needed coffee, and he got up from driving and went back to make a cup of coffee. Well, the thing crashed. So he sued because there was no, in the owner's manual, you couldn't leave the driver's seat to make a cup of coffee. Oh, Common sense. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or print it on a coffee cup. 
Now, now, my favorite are the little pictures they put on things. The side of the, you know, it's the, the one for a chainsaw. It's the guy with the chainsaw between his legs trying to pull start it. <laughs> I want to know why they had to put that on there because that just seems obvious to me. There's a lot of obvious stuff. Yes, I know, but what caused them to have to put that warning on there? Yeah. Don't somebody know. did it. Uh, don't uh, so the conclusion, don't learn for the sake of learning pointless stuff, right? Don't waste your time. Secondly, fear God and obey God. That's the matter. That's the whole thing. If we boil our lives down to fearing God and obeying him, That solves everything, right? That's the whole purpose of man. Fear and obey God. And we're not talking about fear like, oh, coward. No, fear God. Who he is, that he's our judge, that we are answerable to him. That's the kind of fear. That, you know what? He's going to know. That he's aware of what we're doing or saying or thinking. Sometimes that's a scarier thought, I think. Yeah, right. What's going on in my head? He knows. The whole point is to fear and obey God because judgment is coming. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. Uh, evangelicals nowadays are against this idea that God is going to judge us. Oh, he's so lovely. You wonder why Chris is so sarcastic about it because we, all, we, we know pastors and guys who are teaching in churches and they are not teaching that God is God. They're teaching that, that God's your buddy. That's their, that's their idea, is that God loves you so much, he's going to overlook everything you did. Just live your life and enjoy it, because God's okay with it, and he's not. And there's a lot of that in our community. We've got we to gotta fear him. He is going to judge us. Case in point, I mean, Solomon talks about it in, the, in Ecclesiastes. But it's not just him. If we go 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Many of my contemporaries want to blot that out. Jesus doesn't have a, a judgment seat. Jesus is our brother. He loves us, right? Come on. When, when he told the story in the parable about the lost son, Dad didn't judge him, did he? No, he just hugged him, loved him, and brought him in and had a feast. Well, that, that's true, but that wasn't the point of the, the story. You've taken the point of the story out of context. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is Paul. This is the New Testament. This is a warning. We're all going to appear. This is why we need to fear and obey God. He's our judge. Acts 17.31. This is Luke writing this. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. And he's going to 
judge us. We're all going to be judged because he is the righteous one, right? Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, John writes, and now John is not, he's writing it, but he's not the author of this. This is a vision. He is seeing it happen in whatever manner God gave it to him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. John is witnessing the judgment of us. Fear God and obey him because judgment is coming. That is what Solomon is trying to communicate to us. All of life is about that. How we live. Are we living for him? Are we following him? Or are we chasing after ourselves? We're going to get old. We're going to die. And judgment is going to come. If we start when we're young serving God and we serve him faithfully, we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to fear from God because we're living for him. And he ties the whole thing up with this simple saying, do what I say, not what I did. I'm summarizing him. Do what I say, not what I did. I've already done it wrong. Let me tell you how to do it right. That's the point of this book. I've already made all the wrong choices, Solomon says. You don't have to. You don't have to. Comment. Question. things to take with us. Live responsibly before the miseries of old age come. We think we're old. Some of you are older. Some of you are younger. But we always think we're old. Uh, I always thought I was old. Even when I was in my 20s, I'm like, oh man, I'm feeling old. <laughs> I thought I was old then. Now, I'm, now I am old. <laughs> And I'm not yet that old. <laughs> Live responsibly before the miseries of old age. Why? Because when we're young, we have the ability, the motivation, the drive to do things for God. To live the way we're supposed to. We're not set in our ways. Secondly, live responsibly before gloom and decay set in. <coughs> We get set in our ways. We get stuck doing what we're doing. Live responsibly before gloom and decay sets in. Live responsibly before death comes. Because we can't change it. Once you're dead, you're dead. I mean, I think Solomon made that point last week very clear. It is better to be alive and doing okay 
than having been very powerful and currently dead. Because we can't change anything. Live responsibly before death comes. Change now. You can fix it. You can still fix it. It's not too late. Death hasn't come. Lastly, final advice in view of the futility of all human endeavors. Everybody thinks this book is depressing because he says everything is vanity and he goes through and proves how humanism doesn't work and that it's futile. Yes, everything that we do will fall down. Everything we build will decay and collapse. Every dynasty has ended. I mean, okay, the pyramids are still standing, but they're certainly not that glorious anymore. They're clearly a relic. Uh, it's all futile. And give it a few hundred more years, there'll be nothing but dust in the desert, buried along. Here it is. This is what he says. Fear God and obey. Fear God and obey. It's that simple. We don't have to have a boring life because we serve God. Serving God isn't necessarily a boring life. Back in the day, people got this idea that we had to be just uh, humdrum and boring. And you don't do anything exciting or fun, and that's what God wants. And that's not true. Serving God and obeying him can be very eventful. He knows what you need. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of this book and its advice, it's so simple. It's so easy. And we ignore it so well. Lord, help us as we go throughout our days and weeks and years to recognize that we have limited time to serve you and that you're deserving of our service in every minute of it, not just the last few. Father, help us to remember who you are, that you are our judge and that we do answer to you. Help us to live in that fear of disappointing you. Lord, help us to obey. Help us to serve. Help us to do that which you want us to do. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but every week and year of our whole lives. In Jesus' name.